So anyway, if you're exploring faith, if it's your first time in church, uh, it's just great to have you with us, uh, as Dan said. And we're in a series through Mark. We took a break last week. We saw people getting baptized. We spoke into that, and uh, it, was, it was a special time. We're back in Mark. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love you to turn to Mark chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, uh, invest in a paper one, uh, but use your phones as well now. I'd also love to encourage you to take notes. Uh, it's something that I grew up doing when I was preaching, not because I wanted to make sure the preacher was saying something godly, or that's a good thing. You should always be checking what I say if it lines up with scripture, but just to remind myself to go back to it. So if you don't take notes, do that as well. And that's a great thing. Um, but today we're talking on new wine and fresh wineskins. Uh, I'm excited for it that, uh, that God's brought us to this. And so the passage actually, the, it all hinges on two verses, which are going to come up in a short bit from Mark 2, chapter 21 to 22. So we'll start with this, and then we're going to look at either side. This is kind of the meat in the, in the middle of the sandwich. This is what it says. It's why I've titled it as I have. Jesus is talking. He says, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth, cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old and a worse tear is made. And this little bit of the verse I'll focus on more today. And no one puts his new wine puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. So a little bit of historical context, so this makes sense to us. In our day and age, I've got a picture that will come up over here. But before the days of modern winemaking, before the days of visiting Franschuk wineries and those sorts of things, there was a humble wineskin. You can go to the picture. Thanks. It should come up. Perfect. So that's a little bit about like what an ancient wineskin would have looked like. And so people would pour wine into animal skin. And they obviously the skin would have been cleaned out and, and those sorts of things, we hope. And new, new wine, freshly pressed uh, grapes would have been poured into this bag and then allowed to ferment. And then as the grape juice, as the wine fermented into wine, it would obviously stretch the skin. And because the skin was new, it was able to stretch and stretch and move and shape as these gases formed in the fermentation process. Then that wine would obviously mature, it would be ready, it would be great to drink. A fresh wineskin was then used for the next batch. And the reason is, is because if you were to use an old stretched wineskin for the next batch of wine, it would be poured into the right space as it fermented as well. That wineskin is already stretched. The skin has already been stretched tight. And so what would happen is those wineskins would tear. They would break because they couldn't handle the change and the transformation that that new wine was bringing to the skin. And so the only way to experience the incredible wine that brought joy to many was to have new wine and to have it poured into a new wineskin. That's the historical context. And so in the passage, Jesus is the unshrunk garment that if he gets placed onto uh, an, an old garment, as that skin stretches, it tears it apart. And Jesus also in the story is the new wine that gets poured into this wineskin. The old legalistic religious system of operating of Judaism, the religious law that was presented is the old garments and the old wineskin. That gives you a picture of it. We'll explain it more if you're new in church settings. And so Jesus is explaining that the gospel, the good news, the reason why he came to earth cannot be contained by the old ways of doing things. 
They can't be contained in a system. They can't be contained in rules and regulations. Jesus breaks out of those. Jesus transforms us. And so if we think that we can somehow embrace Jesus, but hang on to our ways of doing things, traditions, things that aren't essential to the gospel, there's going to be a tearing and a breaking apart. If we try to invite Jesus into our lives and into our churches, but we don't allow him to mold us, to shape us, to challenge us, we will be destroyed and our old wineskins will tear. We will lose both the new wine of Jesus and what he's trying to do in our lives, and we will also lose the systems and processes that we try to hold on to so dearly. And so it's essential that we get this this morning, and this is what Jesus was trying to share on. We can't have it both ways. We can't add Jesus to our old systems. He creates an entirely new way of living. If you're coming to him today, if you're exploring faith, if you're a Christ follower today, he's not somebody who helps us continue in our old way of life, but just with a little bit of Jesus added on. No, he transforms every part of us. It's an entirely new way of living. He shapes us. He stretches us. He wants to create a beautiful wine within us that flows out from us to impact society, that our church would impact society, that we would be a people who are part of his transformation process. But we have to let him in. We have to let that new wine into our hearts. We have to remain soft. So three things that we're going to cover today is how do we as people recognize if we're living our lives and doing church in a way that's an old skin, old wineskin way of life or a fresh wineskin way of life? And how do we as people in our heart state, how do we operate in a way that's open to Jesus doing work in our lives or is closed? To that. So let's head back to Mark 2 verse 13. That's the key of the, the passage. Now you understand it. And we're going to read together as we go. Mark 2 verse 13. So what it says, he went out again besides, oh maybe I missed it. Is there one back there or did I delete 2 verse 13 to 17? Maybe I did. That's all right. We'll pick it up there in the next bit. <laughs> you can read back if you've got your Bibles. I'll read it for you here. He went out again besides the sea. Uh, this is from 13. All the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And this man, Levi, a tax collector, rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Now we, oh, you found it, great. Now over to verse 16. And the scribes of the Pharisees, um, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. They upheld the Jewish traditions of the day. When they saw that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors, um, they said to his disciples, why does he eat? Again, they made this mistake. We looked at it last time. They always talked to other people instead of Jesus, but he knew exactly what they were saying. So for all of us, don't try to hide things from Jesus. He knows anyway. Just talk to him. And this is the question they said, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Now, tax collectors, much like in our nation, were held in contempt by the Jews. They were looked down upon because of their occupation, because of their lifestyle, and they were renowned for extorting the public. They were renowned for charging more, for cheating the public so that they were able to enjoy the proceeds. And sinners in scripture, when it's written here, is the collective term for those who society deemed to be not quite living the morally perfect life. 
So aside from tax collectors, they may have been prostitutes. They may have been dodgy business dealers. So people are just involved in not exactly clean and dry business operations. We see that in Zim. Those hosting wild parties involved in foolish living, maybe where G&Ts are just on tap and things kind of get out of hand and nobody really knows how the evening ends. That's when the terminology is sinners. That's what scripture is talking about. Basically, the people in society who those living morally and upright, perfect lives look at and go, that's just not how you're supposed to live. That's kind of the story. They shake their heads as the Pharisees did and just said, well, I'm just so glad I don't live like those people. If only one day they got to be as good as me. That was what the religious leaders of the days thought. But what did Jesus do? What did the new wine of Jesus do? He moved towards Levi. He asked him to come on a new life journey with him. And then he went to a dinner party hosted by Levi the tax collector with all his friends and associates in the city. He spent time with them. He got to know them. He ate with them. He drank with them. He hung out with them. He found out their life stories, what they were going through. That was Jesus. Jesus crossed the boundary lines of faith. You see, Jewish leaders had got to the point in life, and this is how they lived, that they were made ritually unclean. They were considered to be unclean if they spent time with those considered to be sinful in the eyes of religious society. But Jesus bridged that divide of faith, and again and again and again, he reached out to those people didn't expect. So point one, old wineskins judge others from a distance. New wineskins draw near with love. That's point one that we get from the story. The religious heart leads us to stick to our faith click, to only spend time with people who believe the same as us and have the same lifestyle as us. The heart that's a soft, fresh wineskin allows Jesus, the new, the new wine, to move us towards those who are different, towards those who don't yet know Christ. And Jesus didn't wait for people to come to him. He didn't sit in a holy huddle and wait. Sure, people did come, but he purposefully went towards people. He reaches out. He loves those others may feel are unlovable. He loves those who don't feel they need him because they can do life on their own. So he loves the proud. He goes after them. He says, no, actually, you do need me. He goes to where people who need him are, but he doesn't become like them. He goes where everybody is. He doesn't become like them. He didn't become a tax collector. He didn't become a drunkard. He didn't become a wild party host. He spent time with people to draw them into a different life for them to experience new wine in a new wineskin. Jesus doesn't call you and me to join business golf leagues, to go fishing on the weekends, to attend house parties with GNTs on tap so that we can fit into the culture. No, he calls us to do that, but he calls us to do that to change culture. That's what Jesus did, to draw people into a different culture, which is what they're really after. Not to start fights using a massive Bible instead of a fist, but to love, to build genuine friendship. We're not about Bible bashing. That's just horrible to be around. <laughs> but friendship, that's amazing to be around. True friendship is a wonderful to be around. So he went to draw people into a new way of life for them to experience the transformation that the new wine of Jesus brings. You see, everybody's looking for peace. We're all looking for contentment. We're all looking for purpose. We just often look in the wrong places. We just need a friend to come alongside us to just say, hey, there might be a different way. Would you explore that journey with me? But sadly, the religious minded, the old wineskin hearts, 
often don't feel they need Jesus as much as others. They have it all together. Just look at me. I'm living the good, upright life. And sadly, that leads to a pride of heart that doesn't care for others. They're different to me. They're not living the way that they should be living. And so I'm going to separate myself from them. And this is why Jesus answers them so cleverly. The irony in Jesus, the cleverness in his speech, he answers them so cleverly. Because when they accused him of spending time with Levi and his friends, he's like, but guys, I mean, you're so holy. You're so perfect. I, I mean, you don't, we don't need to spend time together. You don't even need me. I mean, you guys have it all together. So I'm going to spend time with these guys, but I mean, you guys have it all going. You don't need me as Jesus. I mean, the irony is huge. He's like, I can't help you get any better than you are already. That's why you don't need a doctor. I mean, the sick guys do, the guys I'm hanging out with, but you guys are perfect. You don't need my help. And they would have known exactly what he was saying. He was pointing out that they had an old wineskin heart because they knew the mess of their hearts. But he was pointing out to say, actually, guys, you're the ones who need the help just as much. You need your heart softened. You need me just the same as anyone else. You need a doctor just the same as anyone else. Sadly, they just didn't recognize Jesus as God's son. They didn't recognize that he was the one who was there to fulfill all of their rules and regulations. He didn't recognize that he was God. They didn't recognize he was God in the flesh. They were still living as if they were a separate people, a people on their own, a special chosen people. They didn't realize that Jesus had come to say, actually, I'm here for all people. You're no different. You've got just the same issues. I'm here for everyone. Friends, if you choose to live as Jesus did, there's one thing I will say is that the religious minded, the old wineskin heart won't agree. Just as the religious leaders didn't agree with what Jesus did, so the religious minded won't agree with you. And so a few things for us to learn from Jesus as we seek to draw close and as we seek to love those who are different to us. Number one, as Jesus did, we have to remain different. Jesus never compromised who he was. He never began to join the flow of culture. He was always counterculture, but he loved radically and he cared deeply. And so if we're going to live as Jesus did, we remain different. Number two, we have to be prepared for comments that may come from people who don't agree with the type of people we might befriend. And I love that. I love it when people don't agree. People didn't agree with Jesus. I love it when people didn't agree or don't agree with us. If people are saying, if we're becoming the same as other people, sure, that's a problem. But if we're living and we're honoring Jesus and we're hanging on and spending time with people who are different to us, who are exploring faith, who aren't exploring faith, that's an amazing thing. But be prepared that there might be some comments that Jesus faced as well. And thirdly, we have to be intentional about the reason why we're there. We don't just go and join golf leagues and go fishing and go to parties and hangouts for no reason. There's an inten intentionality to why we do those things. For Jesus, everything he did was intentional. Sure, he was enjoying the party, he was building friendships, but he wanted people to experience the life change that only he brings. And so we don't just hang out for the sake of it. We don't just do these things for the sake of it. We do them because we want people to encounter Jesus. But people encounter Jesus through friendship. If you're here and you've been invited by a friend, a friend stepped out and you've never been through the doors of Hope Church or another, the reason why they've done it is because they love you. They're a friend and they're saying, hey, I've encountered Jesus. I'm on a journey. I'd love you to be part of that journey with me. That's friendship. That's connection. And I love it. So that's the first one. Old wineskins judge others from a distance, but fresh wineskins always draw near to others in love. And that's why everybody is welcome here. Everybody is. We're all on a journey. None of us have it together, but Jesus is the one that we pursue. He's the one we're after. 
Next one. Let's keep reading. Verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, why do John's disciples, some people were still following John the Baptist. They hadn't yet called who Jesus was. They were also following the Pharisees. They said, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Jesus uh, himself, calling himself that. As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. They should be celebrating. They should be hanging out. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away. That was him talking about the cross that he would die, that he would rise again, that he would head to heaven. And he says, and in that time, it will be important to fast, just like we do first Monday fast. Why? Jesus isn't with us in person. We want to connect with him spiritually. We want to look forward to that special day. So point two, old wineskins prioritize rules, but new wineskins pursue Jesus. Old wineskin hearts, ways of life, prioritize rules. But new wineskins pursue Jesus. You see, the religious leaders question Jesus. Why aren't you telling your disciples to fast like we are? Why aren't you, why aren't you, you know, holding off food, holding off things? You know, we, we're all supposed to be doing that. We're doing it. Our followers are. We're doing what God said we should do in Scripture. That's rules, regulations. We're supposed to fast. This is our tradition. It's always been done that way, so it must be done the same. But Jesus gets to the heart of matter, and he says, what is the reason for the rule? What is the purpose of you fasting? The purpose was for you to set aside something so that you could draw closer to God. That's the purpose of the rule. The rule isn't there in and of itself to be followed. It has a reason, and the reason is to draw us close to Jesus. As he asks us that question, he says to the Pharisees, why do you follow rules and regulations from the Bible? For us, Jesus would say, why do you come to church on a Sunday? Why do you read a Bible story with your kids at night? Why do we sing songs about God? Why do we try to follow different rules and regulations in Scripture? Why do we decide not to have sex before marriage as Christ follows? Why don't we drink to excess? Why do we try not to gossip in our lives, to not have a foul in the mouth? Jesus would say, why do you try to do these things? And Jesus says, the point of it is to draw closer to me. The point is not to follow them for rules and regulations sake. Everything that I have in scripture, the point is, is to draw closer to me. You don't do them to tick a faith box, to make you feel better about yourself. So people can look and go, wow, Craig, that's amazing. Look at you. You, you know, you don't miss Sundays, but I do for holidays, of course, important. Um, but, but look at that lifestyle, the way that you know Bible verses, uh, which I don't. Um, but I'm just, I'm just assuming maybe you say that about me and I don't. But why do we do those things? The purpose has to be Jesus. It has to be Jesus. We mustn't even come to church for our kids. We have to come to church for ourselves. Because to be honest, the change that they see in our lives at home is a lot more powerful than what they'll learn at kids' church. Is kids' church important? Yes. Do we put time into it? Yes. Does Sarah spend a long time praying about what we should do? Yes. But that won't get them to follow Jesus. What will get them to follow Jesus is us following Jesus and us coming to church for Jesus. And then the overflow of that will mean they follow Jesus. It has to be pursuing Jesus for ourselves as priority. Friends, don't let tradition take priority over purpose. Don't do something because it's always been done that way, even if the purpose is no longer there. The gospel can never change. The good news of Jesus can never change. That's the wine. But our wine skin, the way that we do things, how we get across those truths, that can change because the world in which we live changes. When I was younger, as a youngster, one of the things that thrilled me and scared me at church was doing something called an overhead projector. 
those terrifying things. There was this light that shone up. Maybe some of you went to school a long time ago. We used those as well. And it would bounce off a mirror. And then the teacher would try write on it. And it was annoying because their hand got in the way. And then you'd be trying to do it at church or, 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 or something. And then you would drop it by mistake or slide it off. And then you weren't quite in line. It was just carnage. Um, but it was breakthrough technology at church and in schools. I mean, this was astounding, the OHP. And then the digital projector came. That changed everything. We stopped that. Now, did we change what we were teaching? Did we change what we did in church uh, or, or what we said in church? No, but the mechanism of how we got it through, that changed. Our mechanisms, those can change, but the message can never change. We always need to be open to that. We did the Alpha Leadership um, Academy as church, not Academy, the, the conference last week. They showed the new Alphas a video. If any of you haven't done it, we had 60 people in the first term around there. We're going to do it again, second, uh, third term. A great way to explore faith. But they showed the promo for the youth alpha coming out in 2024. It's like a VR headset gameplay type thing. And I just sat going, this is weird. And I'm sure the teens are going to go, this is electric. Finally, people are speaking our language. And so if you're a teen and you're sitting here, form fours to upper six are here. We need you. We need you to show us the way things are now. We're getting old. We don't understand things in that. Should the message of Jesus change? Never. The way we do it, it has to change. Culture changes, and so we need help in that. We're getting old. Chairs versus pews. When chairs got moved into churches and pews got taken out, it was revolutionary. Some people left the church. How can you remove pews? Those things help you get closer to Jesus. No, they don't. They're terrible and uncomfortable. Um, maybe they make you feel when you sit in a pew and you sit there and you just go, oh, this is spiritual. And sure, maybe some of them can be comfortable and we can sit on the kneeling pads and things like that. We used to do that all the time, even though you weren't supposed to. Can pews change? Yes. That was just what it was easiest to build back in the day. Can that change? Can the message change? No, it can never change. Hymns versus contemporary songs. Do we keep doing hymns for the sake of doing hymns? Now, there's some great hymns. We love them. But we do do them because there was something spiritual about hymns and there's something less spiritual about contemporary songs. No, there isn't. There's just as many godly songwriters now, godly hip-hop songwriters. We should do it in church. We should worship to that. I keep telling my brother-in-law who writes music, please can you write some amazing godly rave because I love it. And I'd worship to that all day long. Is that ungodly? No, it's different. It's different. We've got to be open to that. Jesus never changes, but the wineskin can change. Tradition must never dictate our faith. Don't allow your heart to become a brittle old wineskin that's so set in its ways that you can't receive and enjoy th new things that Jesus wants to do. Do we throw out the old? No, not at all. But we hold things lightly. The message we don't, but we hold everything else lightly. And we say, Jesus, what is a great tool, the best tool to help people experience you? And we go for that. We run hard after that. Last little bit. Got a few minutes left. Verse 23, one Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? He said to them, have you never read that David, King David, a great king in scripture, um, when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how they entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and they ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And David was considered hugely important by the religious leaders. Jesus is saying they broke, he broke this rule as well and his friends. So let, let's get to it. So the son of man, the Sabbath was not made for the man, 
um, not, sorry, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue and there was a man there with a withered hand. They watched Jesus to see whether he would heal someone on the Sabbath. The rules were so strict to follow the Sabbath, to set aside this time, that people weren't prepared to help somebody in need because of observing the Sabbath. Terrible. It was terrible to wear God. That was never God's heart. His heart was that it's important to rest. To rest, take time out, enjoy your family. It had got so bad that you didn't even help people because you stuck to that, the most important rule. And so he says, come here to the person, a man with a withered hand. He said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or kill it? They were silent, didn't want to answer. He looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Does Jesus get angry? Yes. Does he get angry at you and I? No. Does he get angry at the way that we operate and sometimes the harshness of our hearts? Yes, he does. He wants that to change. He says to this man, stretch out your hand. He stretches it out. The hand's restored immediately. The Pharisees went out and immediately they held counsel with Herodians, people who they didn't like each other, but they joined together on how they could destroy Jesus because he was breaking their system. He was breaking their control. He was breaking their power. Point three, old wineskins are rigid and controlling. New wineskins are flexible and compassionate. Our rules and regulations are there to help us become more like Jesus. Jesus didn't go, man, I love the Sabbath. I'm going to create the Sabbath because I just love the Sabbath day so much. Oh, I better make people so that they can fulfill my Sabbath day. No, that's the wrong way around. Jesus made people. And then he said, you know what? The Sabbath rest will be great for them. It'll be important for them. And so I'm going to make a Sabbath rest. That was the challenge he was saying to them. Jesus didn't come up with these great rules. God didn't make rules and then go, man, I need to get people to sort out these rules and fulfill them. And that's the wrong way around. He made us and rules and regulations can be great for us to live in a safe and a wonderful container to help us follow Jesus effectively. We were not created to fulfill rules and regulations. They're a means to help us grow. We're not there to make sure they're in place correctly in and of themselves. We are there to live the life that God's called us to, and they can help. But man, these things can become more important to us than Jesus himself. The way that we do things, the way that we pray, the timings of church, all these sorts of things, the, the regulate, they can become so much more important to us than Jesus. We can allow our wineskins to become hard and old. We can try to keep their shape no matter what. But wine, Jesus, new wine, it actually needs, he needs to push us to stretch us, to stretch the areas of our hearts that need changing, to make us into the people that he's called us to be. For us to be his fragrance, his new wine in the midst of a changing generation. The wine must always be new and fresh, delightful to taste, and therefore the wineskin needs to adjust. It needs to change. The Sabbath was for the spiritual and the physical good of people, as I said, and it is. We need to learn to rest and switch off. Side note on the message, I'll get us to stand and pray. We were going to do communion, but we're going to switch that to next week just because of time. But we need to learn to unplug. You know, real Sabbath is one where we plan it out. We take time to enjoy family, to enjoy friendships, switch off our phones, do something different as a family and friendships. It's important. It's vital. We don't do that enough to enjoy the small things. You know, the other day, 
on my off day, I decided to walk down the road to a coffee shop, which frankly is only about maybe like 700 meters away. But that's far for me to walk. So I decided to walk there just for the thrill of it instead of driving. Because why not do things different on your day off? And it was quite exciting to walk down and to enjoy the trees and the birds singing and almost get hit by bad drivers and those sort of things. But, but, it, but it was, the point of it was, I was like, no, actually, instead of racing somewhere, quickly jump in my car, race for a meeting. Actually, let me just take my time and enjoy the creation that God's given. So, so do things like that on your day of rest, but take one. We live in these busy lives. We need to take days off. Where do you feel you are when it comes to being an old wineskin or a new wineskin? I'll close with these. Do you feel that you're more prone to judge people who are different to you or love people? Are you inclined more to follow rules with maybe a little bit of a sense of pride? I, I did my Bible readings this week. I've come to church three times in a row rather than to humbly pursue Jesus. Is there a chance that you may be a person who leads more towards rigidness and control? rather than a life of flexibility and compassion. I want us to be a people who are passionate about allowing Jesus, the new wine, to be poured into our lives, to be poured into our church, for us to always remain soft, for him to change us, for him to mold us, for him to make us more like himself. We want to be a new wineskin people, a new wineskin church. Jesus must always be allowed to challenge our long-standing traditions to tenderly show us the true state of our hearts and he's always about transforming lives he's not about making us into religious robots he doesn't want that he wants to follow us because we love him but we have to be continually open to the change he's bringing not a change in who he is or a change in what he came to do but a softness to allow him to change us to shape us to transform us